This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where this is, I guess, the first initial episode of our Road to 100. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the podcast. Uh, He's the director and co-owner of Hoop City and is the director and co-owner at Melbourne United, Simon Kelly. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Uh, It's an absolute honour to have you on. How are you? Thanks, Max. Really well, mate. Enjoying the Melbourne weather. Yeah. Um, so I would like to sort of start off by getting into a bit of your childhood and what was growing up like for you? Uh, my childhood was an absolute ball. I, I, I think I was blessed with you know, great parents that, that allowed me to or invested in me in my sport, um, supported my education, but also my, my sporting dreams. So um, that basically... You know, started with a variety of sports, you know, early on, whether it was footy or basketball or cricket, um, and then just morphed, I guess, out of primary school into, into being a basketball focus. So, uh, When did you have to make that decision to, um, you know, make that primary focus basketball? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a decision I made. I, I think it's more just where my, where my passions were. So, um, yeah, obviously the... Um, yeah, very keen on the basketball at that stage and, you know, playing basketball, probably couldn't say no joining a, joining a team. And then, yeah, when you get into your teams, you start playing probably more senior, um, yeah, representative teams, or whatever else. So it ended up being sort of, you know, seven or eight games and training of basketball a week. Um, so it was more, to- more, more time, I, I think, anything that, that made that choice for me. So what was school like for you as a kid? Our school was awesome. Um, local primary school um, in Windervale, which is at, at the back of Werribee there, which, you know, at the time was a country town. Um, yeah. <laughs> now it's big city. Lots of mates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now it's booming. But, um, yeah, it was great. Um, and then on to secondary school, uh, where I was fortunate enough to have my father teach there. So there was, um, you know, a lot of guidance, a bit of help with good teachers, Um and yeah, just just made the most of of a really good, you know, innocent childhood. So, can you tell me a bit about university life for you and what you studied at university? Yeah, I I, I came out of um, uh, VCE. I, I was actually pretty proud of of the result um, and, and and the school I came out of and, and went in and did a, um, a bachelor of commerce at, at Deakin, majoring in, in sports management. Um, with a minor in, minor in, in management. So early days, I guess, that, that love of sport, um, I, I thought at the time that I wanted to be Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And the movie just came out. I thought I'd, I'd make an amazing player agent or, you know, um, recreation centre manager. So that was sort of the path I chose. So what did you kind of do after uni? After uni, uh, kind of... Got through uni okay um, and realised that you know, there's probably not a lot of commercial opportunity in sport. Um, stumbled into a, into a role um, at, at the time, it was Delta Car Rentals. Um, so took on a, a role there and, and, and rose up through the ranks at Delta, which then became Europe Car. So that was yeah. sort of my first you know, foray into, into full-time work. Now, I believe you you are a committee member and current president 
Art at Mount Buller Race Club. How did that come about? Uh, my, my kids are mad skiers. Uh, so I've got three kids at the moment who, who are 17, 15 and, and 13. Um, so when uh, I think my eldest boy, James, was, was four or five, um, we took him up to Mount Buller and he, and he absolutely loved the snow. Um, and we were fortunate enough at the time to be able to you know, travel a little bit as well with the kids, even though they were quite young, you know, travelling over to Europe um, and North America in, in, I guess, our summer here, uh, their winter over there, um, and participating in you know, a couple of weeks of, of family skiing um, for the next you know, five or six years after, after James was five, so probably until you know, his early teenage years, and um, all three kids you know, developed a real love of it. So, that, yeah, I, I guess that then led um, to their membership of the Mount Buller Race Club at, uh, up at Mount Buller, and um, I've always... Uh, had the view. I, I was very fortunate, you know, as a young kid to have you know great support from uh, my friends' parents, uh, particularly my my best friend Callum. His, his dad Frank was a huge influence on on my life, and 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 gave a lot to not just his kids but other kids. Mm-hmm. And I always saw that as a you know a great role model and something that I wanted to um, do and give back to the community. So hence my you know volunteer um, involvement, you know, not only with Mount Buller Race Club, but also, you know, coaching, you know, junior basketball teams, you know, for my kids and, and, and kids of, um, you know, friends. Over your sort of career and journey in business, you've invested in multiple companies and been company secretaries and things like that at SLK Group and Treehouse Childcare. Can you tell me about um, <clears throat> opportunities for investing um, and, you know, why you invest in these kinds of companies? Yeah, sure. The um, yeah, the childcare came um, came about with my my wife at the time, Linda. You know, had a desire to start a business and and and, and did a lot of research across you know a variety of industries and and landed on childcare. Um, we we're quite fortunate at the time. There was a bit of a uh, there wasn't much commercial investment at a private sector level, um, and got in nice and early there. And yeah, that then grew. Um, over a number of years in, into you know very successful business uh, that, that being Treehouse and then that led you know further down that track uh, led to a divestment of that business which then allowed I guess or opened up opportunities to invest in others um, and then yeah I, I guess out of that uh, probably childcare is not my love um, and you know I always encourage everyone to to, to try and do or, or invest in what they love. Um, so that led about you know, an investment in, you know, in the property sector um, at the moment, um, investments in basketball, which is you know, Hoop City and Melbourne United, and then also an electrical business with, um, with a few close mates, um, Q4 Electrical, which um, you know, a couple of guys, you know, a couple of my really good friends um, involved in that, which, which, which you know of, um, you know, Chris, Biz and, and, and Callum. So, um, yeah, been very fortunate, I think, now to have a, you know, a variety of investments across you know, a number of different um, industries um, and being able to spend time, I, I guess, on those and, and provide some you know, guidance to, to, to the management and the team that run, run those businesses. How do you try and maximise your return um, in the property market? Because we've seen it in Melbourne and Sydney over the past few years. I think Melbourne's gone up 14 15% in 2021. Sydney went up, I think it was 11%. So how do you... Um, try and make um, capital growth and capital gain? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I stuck with what I knew 
um, in, in in property and, and, and invested in, in the childcare sector, uh, more in the freehold of the property. Um, so certainly looking at, you know, various metrics like yield, um, you know, and, and, and capital growth. Um, we're blessed, well, investors in, in childcare property are, are blessed with long leases, uh, very secure investment. It's backed by government. Um, and certainly, you know, knowing the industry um, was, you know, a big plus from my perspective. So I've been very fortunate in the growth of that sector. Um, certainly at the moment, it's, it, it, from my perspective, it's hard to find those returns and the return on equity that, that, that you need. But, yeah, I've got that, yeah, I, I guess, um, what would you say, investment portfolio there that, that allows me then to focus on other things that's sort of, we're lucky enough that it's a little bit set and forget at the moment. It's a very secure uh, industry. So um, now my focus is probably more on a day-to-day level in, in, in you know, basketball and, and, and our electrical business. So can you tell me about how you got involved with Q4 Electrical and the guys there? Yeah, good question. Um, initially, uh, the guys um, that are, are the founders of, of Q4 were our initial investment group in, in Melbourne United um, and spending a lot of time with um, particularly Chris. Chris came out of the infrastructure um, um, game in, in, in Metro Trains and has an electrical background. So certainly leveraging off his experience, um, his desire to, you know, look at going into, you know, an operating business and, and running a business and then getting together a group of investors that, that sort of had a common goal. So um, that's how that came about. Um, now, I want to know how you got involved with Melbourne United. <clears throat> I've heard um, a couple of stories from um, Chris Moore and Mark Bisbee about how you guys sort of grouped together to um, buy in at Melbourne United. So how did you um, <clears throat> become involved and essentially become a part of um, one of the greatest clubs in NBL history? Yeah, certainly very, very privileged to be involved. But um, my my accounting background um, initially when, when Chris and – it was probably Chris and Callum at the time – uh, came to me and said, you know, we've got this idea, we've got an opportunity now. Or initially, the idea was potentially to, to open an expansion club. Interlong. Um, yeah, start, start a new licence. Um, and then that soon morphed um, with a few contacts, um, knowing that Larry was divesting um, yep. 75% of, of um, what became Melbourne United. Yeah. And, and an opportunity for us to buy in there. Um, I looked at the numbers and the metrics and probably had a pure financial hat on at the time and said, no way. There's no way I'm going <laughs> to. I thought it was just another racehorse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you continually put money in for, you know, for love and, yeah. and with a hope. Um, yeah. But the boys came back. I, I initially said no. The boys came back and said, well, we're in anyway. <laughs> and I said, and I said, well, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm in. I, yeah. I had FOMO. I didn't, I didn't want to miss out. Um, it was a relatively small investment at the time. Um, and since then, um, reading up, you know, through a lot of the, you know, uh, US, you know, investment analysts and, and, and um, you know, sports media and, and things along those lines, I've, I've recently purchased another 10% of the club. So... Yeah. Um, certainly see it as a, as a great long-term investment. Um, I've loved my time, you know, spending time with the likes of Larry and, and, and Hutchie um, mm-hmm. and seeing their brain 
and, and you know, how it works and, um, you know, what the vision is for the league going forward. Um, it's been an absolutely amazing time. I'm sure you've seen the growth over the last four years. It's, it's been phenomenal and a, and a credit to Larry and his team. So what vision does Larry have for the NBL going forward in the next possibly four to five years? Not too sure whether whether it's public knowledge, but um, <laughs> I, I think what Larry does is Larry invests um, and makes really sound long-term decisions. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to make short-term money, um, and whether that's at, at a broadcasting level or um, you know um, you know media or, or sponsorship. And I think Larry really looks you know, further down the lens and says, what does this look like in 5, 10, 15 years' time, not just, you know, how can, how can we maximise the commercial returns, you know, early on? Um, and that's something, you know, I, I'm really bought into. I know he's got, you know, you know, a number of things that he's working on at the moment, um, actively, you know, looking at the US market um, and certainly I think with the recent sale of, the, of a portion of the Sydney Kings, you know, certainly um, licence values and, and I guess the reputation of the league's gone from strength to strength over the last couple of years. So what was your championship experience like with Melbourne United and NBL 21? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, I think, I think the, not the disappointing thing, but, but the unfortunate thing was that we, yeah, we had you know, the players and, and the officials quarantining separate from you know, the fans and even ownership group. So yep. it was really hard to have have that combined team experience, but certainly yeah, it, was, it was obviously. So could you guys celebrate with the team afterwards, or afterwards we could? Yeah. But I think you know, on the court and, and during the final series, it was, it was a very yeah, separated approach. Um, so I look forward to that. You know, welcoming that back and yeah, certainly seeing the you know, players. I think last, last weekend they were, they were able to high five for the first time. The crowd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, someone like someone like Ariel and, and, and yeah, yeah. You know, plays plays that love the physical contact and the yeah, you know, activating the, the fans. Yeah. Are, you know, are, are, we, we can't wait for that to come back. Well, we've got Nick Trulson on the podcast. I just interviewed him um, last night. Um, he mentioned that every, every day Ariel Hakporty comes up um, into the Hoop City office where Melbourne United is upstairs and high fives every single one of the staff after training. Is that true? I'd believe it. I, I don't know yeah. it, but uh, just to see his, his youthful enthusiasm and his, and his energy, um, yeah, it's infectious. Uh, yeah, having you know good people like that around, and I th- think you see that across yeah the whole Melbourne United list is, is first and foremost they're, they're good people, um, and that's certainly something that we want to you know develop and, and build a culture you know of of, of Ariel's out there. So, what energy does Ariel Hakpoti bring? Um, I guess, to this group. He's only 19 years of age. He's the next star. He's looking like he's NBA-bound already. Yeah. I, I, selfishly, from a Melbourne United perspective, I, I think he's got another year of development in him. So yeah. he, he, he should be right to come back uh, for the boys yeah. boys next year. Nah. <laughs> no, look, I think that's the that, that's the not the thing we struggle with at, at United, but... Certainly being, you know, I guess a second-tier league, like, you know, sitting just that, that, that one rung behind uh, the NBA, the unfortunate thing is is that we're going to lose talent. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's, it's such a, a, an amazing experience and an amazing achievement, you know, for our club to, you know, to have Jock Langdale come in, you know, and make that leap to the, to, um, the NBA, you know, Ariel, even Big Joe, 
is going to have a chance. Delhi wants to get back there. Um, you know, CG had had some serious NBA tryouts this year. Um, so we're blessed with we're blessed not only with talent, but I think it's also proof that you know Dean and the team, you know, a, a, you know lead a, a, I guess a world class development um, program, an organisation that, that that is clearly a, a great stepping stone into the NBA. So can you talk me through um, your involvement in player signings around the club? Uh, it's none. None. No, we've got it. We, we've got like a. A subcommittee that, that that works on roster, yeah. Um, very minimal you know, ownership involvement, other than uh, I guess um, you know setting a budget and allowing the team to work within that. Um, mm-hmm. if, if if things run outside of that, then you know it comes back to the ownership group for approval. Um, but certainly we've got a you know a, a, a very um, you know, capable team in there, led by Dean um, and Nick. You know, in, in coming up with a strategy. Uh, Bordy as well, um, yeah, coming up with a strategy as to you know, what talent and, and, and quality of person we want to attract to the club. So what does um, the ownership group um, at United do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, support, you know, support the management that run the club. You know, um, we've got a great, you know, great guy in, in Nick there at the moment, um, good team around him. Uh, Dean and, and, and the operational team, you know, like I mentioned before, run run a world class program. So, you know, all, all we can do is provide probably advice outside of you know basketball operations, and and create the environment that allows those guys to you know deliver on you know the goals and the vision of the club. Can you tell me about Lamarja Capital? Yeah, Lamarja Capital is, is is just like a small, uh, I guess you'd say a, a very small version of like a family office. So that's. You know, a, a group of mine that, that I run uh, with a very small team that, that looks after uh, my investments. So uh, across a range of property, um, I guess you call it like a leisure side of things and, and then a development yeah. um, uh, angle. So how did you become a part of Hoop City with those guys and decide that, you know, this is what you guys <clears throat> want to do to get return on investments and allow for youth to develop their um, basketball game and craft? Yeah, the last part's probably the most important. Is is that there's, there's a real lack of of um, you know facilities that allow for individual um, a development, player development, uh, particularly in indoor facilities. Uh, I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, you know, every every gym you go into, every basketball gym you go into after school or on the weekend is full of games. So there's there's very little limited, I guess, availability of stadiums. Um, around that allow for you know I guess a hot or I guess players that are you know, looking down a high performance path. So first and foremost, that that's what we wanted to do is provide an environment where where people can, as our Monica says, raise their game. Yeah. Um, so we'll run a you know a, a wide variety of you know, skill based camps. Um, yeah, we've got shooting machines, we've got you know, skills bays, we've got, got a whole range of different programs that we run. In development programs, um, which is mainly for the individual, not, not for the team. Um, and then, I guess, wrapping some commercial parameters around that to, to ensure that it's sustainable going forward. So what's the aim with Hoop City going forward in the next few years? Oh, we no doubt we want to be national and be, and be seen as being, you know, I guess, cutting edge, um, you know, skill development uh, facility, you know, for aspiring basketballers. And that could be 
you know, from, you know, in, initiating, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds, you know, through to, you know, mad, you know, 50-year-old hoopers that are down there on a Tuesday night. Um, now, can you talk, me, uh, talk uh, to me a bit about the partnership between the NBL and Hoop City? Obviously, Hoop City is the only um, NBL sort of funded and accredited program um, to develop uh, a player's skills and things like that. Where do you see that partnership going in the next few years? Yeah, I think that'll evolve with, with, with what, you know, the league's vision and, 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 and our vision. Um, certainly, you know, we, we, we sold them what our vision was to be nationwide, to provide development programs that, you know, people might not have the opportunity, you know, to. I, I think a lot of investments done at, you know, you, know, you might say first division, you know, junior um, development levels you know, or junior teams and associations. Um, and, you know, what happens to that, you know, person that's in the second or third or fourth time. Yeah. Um, so we want to provide an environment that allows, I guess, uh, the level, you know, of junior athlete in Australia grows. Um, and I, I think it's proven that, that we do have that, but... I guess we've always always got to continue to aspire to be better. So how do you how did you guys originally set up Hoop City um, and know what kind of um, drills you wanted to set up and how you wanted to set up the whole facility? Yeah, so a, a mixture of um, you know research, international research, and seeing what was out there, what what technology was around, how we could incorporate that into. It. I guess our Cheltenham facility is like a large format uh, facility. Um, so what we wanted to include in there um, and just dividing that space up that we, that we thought um, would lead to, I guess, great development opportunities for, for young athletes. In, in, addition to a, in addition to that, I guess the programs that we run, we, we engage Justin Shuler, who's the, who's the national, I think he's the national under-18 under coach. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the assistant coach at Melbourne United, and he's developed um, our pathway programs. What's it like to have um, someone who's such an experienced player and coach like Dylan Stife at Hoop City? Oh, he's great. He's great. He, he's, um, his family is, has a heavy educational background, um, certainly a great, you know, great coach. The feedback we get from the athletes, um, you know, his passion for the game is, um, is second to none and, and just a great guy to you know, have around. So just quickly to finish off, Simon, I want to know what is your best advice for anyone who wants to be a co-owner or director of a company and be successful like yourself? Uh, personally, I think you've got to love what you do. I think you've got to you know, get up in the morning and, and, and go to work, you know, I guess looking forward to what you're going to do for the day. Uh, first and foremost, that's you know my um, you know advice for happiness, um, and I guess you've got to wrap some commercial parameters around that. So be realistic in in I guess what um, you set out to achieve, um, and also you've got to make sure that I guess there's an element of sustainability. Thanks, Simon, so much for coming on today and put aside. <clears throat> Half an hour or so of your time to come and have a chat. It's been an absolute honour to have you on. I really appreciate it, Max. Thanks, thanks, Simon. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max.
This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.